At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. What's up guys, I'm out on site. I'm just taking a little break. I just went into a um, warehouse there, pharmaceutical warehouse, and there's a bunch of walk-in boxes. And what I do every every month, we, ha we have a PM every month, and it's just a, an inspection, walk around, check this and that. It's not like a, like a very invasive PM. It's just kind of like a look at the coils, make sure the fans are running, switch over the lead lag. And what I mean by lead lag is there's a primary, and a secondary unit there's 100% redundancy in each box and to have equal run times what I do is I switch them over every every month that way we have equal run times and I do that first thing in the morning when I get here and then I wait about an hour and then I do another walk around make sure everything's cooling properly um, head up to the roof make sure everything up there is good and then we do our majors every three months just go a little bit more in depth to, to check some more stuff anyway that's a good segue into this discussion that I'm going to have with John Broughton John is from Danfoss and we had a very good conversation I interviewed John on cold rooms or walk-in boxes as we more describe them in North America cold room I think is a more European uh, term that they use for the for the same thing but we can use those terms interchangeably and we had a really good discussion. It involved refrigerants that are used in, in cold rooms or walk-in boxes. We talked about defrost. We talked about design considerations. We talked about construction of a walk-in box. And I did this. This was a, a Zoom meeting, so like a video call. So I extracted the audio out of the, out of the video call. Now, I was in my truck. John was in his home office. So you can tell that um, there's an air gap between myself and the microphone which was in my phone which was sitting on my dash because we were having a video call but nonetheless it's you can hear it crisp um sounds good it's just not as crisp as i it would be sitting down at my uh, my setup at home anyway it's a good conversation you're going to learn a lot if you're into refrigeration or if you want to learn more about refrigeration good conversation coming up with john broughton from dan foss this is the hvac know-it-all podcast and i'm your host gary mccready Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast, recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC, from storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. John, how are you doing today? Yeah, good, thanks. And you? Good, good. So you're located in uh, the UK, right? Yeah, I'm located in the UK currently in my uh, beautiful home office, which, yeah, well, you know, with the current uh, situation and stuff. So, uh, yeah, just working in the home office, looking outside, um, loving life. Awesome. So 
you work for Dan Foss and we're going to have a conversation on some cold room stuff, but you want to maybe go through what you do for Dan Foss and the background you have in the industry. Yeah. Um, I've been in the, I've been in the industry since I was about 16, um, time serve technician, then spent some time, um, in the contracting business. So working in large commercial industrial sort of stuff. Um, then went into the wholesaling business. So we're from a techie side on the wholesaling business. Uh, done various roles within wholesaler and then sort of moved over to, to Danfoss again as a, as a technical role. Um, done many things with a, a technical role within Danfoss, both from a mechanical product point of view, but also electronics, uh, expansion valves, case controllers, all that sort of thing. Uh, and currently now do global applications. So generally anything to do with applications that are from a wholesaler sort of background, if you like. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, typical cold room case, a little bit of supermarket, but generally most of the stuff that gets sold through the wholesale channel. Gotcha. So over, over here in North America, we usually use the term walk-in box. And mm -hmm. is, is that, a, is that a, in, in Europe, in the UK, is that a common, is, you guys call them cold rooms over there, right? Yeah, I mean, generally in Europe, it's called a cold room, but because I'm, I'm fairly lucky, uh, I work globally, I speak with a lot of people globally. Um, I get quite used to the terminology and I generally call a small walk-in now, a, cold, a small cold room a walk-in. Uh, yeah. Because that's the terminology that I'm used to. Yeah. So let, let's let's talk about those. And I have some, some questions written down and pardon me that I got to look at <laughs> my phone for them. <laughs> Because my, my memory is terrible and it's just easier to have them in, in my phone. So I just want to go through some of the basics uh, of a cold room or a walk-in box and maybe talk about sometimes I see arguments and there's debate on what a high temp walk-in box is, a medium temp and a low temp is, the temperature ranges, right? Yeah, that's, that's a, a really good question. Um, I mean, generally we use the terms medium temp, low temp, um, but if you talk sort of high temp then i would be looking at something like you know beverage beer um you know wine things like that um sort of temperature wise for what i would class as as high temp in degrees f you're talking sort of 50 f which is you know 10 degrees c mm -hmm. somewhere around there um then when you come to sort of medium temperature then you know you're talking um, meat, dairy, so 39 degrees F, 4 degrees C for vegetables, a little bit colder for, for chilled meat, you know, 32 F, 0 C for the meat, something like that. And then low temp, again, that's the, there's as much confusion there, I guess. Um, you can generally talk low temp from minus 18 downwards for sort of short term, um, and then, you know, all the way down to minus 25, minus 30 for long term. Um, and then if you want to go even colder down to minus 60 for, you know, the pharmaceutical business. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of discussion and that's very global as to generally what you mean by medium temp, low temp is understood. But if you sort mention uh, high temp, it, that, that's where it gets a little bit confusing. Mm -hmm. So generally yeah. I sort of say high temp is beer and then people get the understanding of it. Yeah, and, and, it, and it kind of sucks. We got to say high temp for beer for those of that, that like beer, like ice cold, right? <laughs> yeah. And I know some, I know some beers are, are, are drinking or we drink them warmer and some beers are better cold. Yeah. But um, moving on to sort of the next sort of topic here is that what are some 
design considerations we need to uh, put into place when we're designing a box. Because like you said, we have the difference between like a meat and then um, we, we could have like flowers or we could have sealed compartments. So let's, let's take something like fruits and vegetables that need to kind of stay moist and can't dry out to, and compare that to something like that's in a sealed container where it doesn't really matter if, if it dries out and we need to maintain sort of a moisture level. What, what sort of parameters and design considerations do we need to look at there? That, that's an incredibly good question because I get challenges all the time being on site with, with these sort of questions. And if, if we take fruit and veg to begin with, as you said, oh, bear with me, that was uh, not meant to happen. Let's go back up again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's live. Um, if you think about fruit and veg, um, fruit and veg are, are living products. So A, they breathe, so you've got the, the heat of re respiration to begin with. But then also they're very uh, sensitive, let's say, to the moisture level, to the humidity level in the store. Now, if you've got any, whether it's meat, fruit, fruit and veg, whatever, you've got to keep the right humidity. Um, and that basically, the, the, the main way that you would control that is your TD, your temperature difference on your evaporator. So the TD between evaporating temperature, so suction temperature, and air off the coil. Now, if you've got a, let's say, a very uh, small TD, let's say five to six, you keep your humidity up. So 90%, somewhere around there. If you're taking more, let's say, heat out the air, so you've got a wider TD, um you're actually then drawing more moisture out your air so you've got to keep that humidity level right and that that really comes down to the selection of the condensing unit uh, or compressor set let's call it um and the evaporator and make sure that they match so we get that td right on that cooler because if we don't then we're on a you know there's, there's a challenge there to maintain the right humidity within the room if you've got something like beer let's take our favorite subject you know it's in a glass bottle it's in a it's in a tin um the humidity doesn't play any effect on that because mm -hmm. it's sealed it's not going to give up any moisture um you know if it's an apple for example if you are taking too much moisture out the air you will dry that apple up and it will shrivel um you know same with a tomato same with any sort of fruit um other challenges if you get the humidity wrong the other way so you've got too much too much humidity there you can get uh, the, the product will sweat um, with the heat of respiration so you've got challenges there as well uh -huh. so it, it really comes down to the, the selection of the equipment first off to make sure you've got that right balance between let's say the condenser uh, and your evaporator so the evaporator um, this is something that I want to ask you I've, I've seen in refrigeration the fin spacing is different on, on many different applications. Can, can you talk to the fin spacing on the evaporator? Yeah, I mean, generally fin spacing, A, comes down to uh, duty. But, but really, if you're talking, let's say, high temp, um, you would have a fairly uh, close fin spacing because you're not too worried about frost buildup on the fins. If you're on a deep freeze, you'd have a wider fin spacing because you're going to build up more frost. Um, also, again, depending on the product that you've got in the store and the amount of moisture that's in that product, then the fin spacing is going to be different again. But generally, if it's high temp, fin spacing is closer together. If it's low temp, fin spacing is further apart. Okay, cool. So that sort of clears that up for me. I, I did want to talk about quickly construction of a box. 
And one thing that I've seen, and I've seen this um, either or, where a, a box will be built on a slab uh, or a box will be built on an insulated floor. Um, mm. On the slab, there's there's one location we, we take care of where it's it's actually a minus 40 freezer for plasma. It's a pharmaceutical and it's built yeah. on slab. And what they did was, is they ran um, airflow under the ground um, to keep to keep moving air, I guess, to, yeah. to remove to just to, to keep that under the under the, the floor um, heated so it can't freeze and buckle and stuff like that. So well, what, yeah. what is the best approach for that? Is it? on slab or insulated floor or does it really matter that's quite a, a good topic actually because uh, there's basically three methods or let's say four methods if you take a walk-in um, generally that has a engineered insulated floor that's suitable for the foot traffic maybe a pallet truck um, if it's a bigger store then generally it's a concrete floor so uh, generally um, granolithic concrete laid on top of insulation and then below the insulation you'd have an electrical heater mat um, which would maintain that temperature just above zero three four degrees so yeah as you say you don't freeze any moisture in the foundations so if you freeze any moisture then um, obviously water water expands when it freezes and that can you know damage the floor and uh, cause something called frost heave other way to do it is to have uh, take um, heat from the discharge line through a heat exchanger and then put, put glycol through a series of tubes under the floor and the one that you mentioned about the raised floor I've only ever seen that once in sort of 35 years of being in the trade um, and that again is another way to do it so you don't have any extra cost of running a, a heater mat under there or the heat reclaim you know pumping the, the hot glycol um, mm -hmm. it's just to maintain that temperature in, in wish my stool would stop doing that um, to maintain the temperature in those foundations so that you don't freeze any moisture gotcha so so, uh, so you just have to keep that in consideration that if you're building it on slab you need to have something in place so you're not going to freeze the the concrete or the ground that the yeah. freezer is built upon yeah, yeah. okay so as, as far as building the walls and the ceiling and all that i mean when we're building this this cooler do we need to keep in mind the the thickness of because we, these things come in in panels that lock together i've taken some apart that were just horrendous to take apart we had to take our our reciprocating saw and just and cut cut the the linkages apart because they just wouldn't yeah. budge um, so I, I guess it matters depending on the temperature of uh, of the of the box how thick the insulation is on on the panels So you guys have heard me talking about company cam and I'll go over it again just to make it clear for you guys exactly what it's for. Let's say we have a two week project. Let's say it's a big VRF install. So we can take snapshots of the job from start to finish and everybody on our team can get those snapshots and comments and notes. So there's not all the emails and the texts and the phone calls back and forth. You can let your customer in on it. If your customer's on the other side of the country, they wanna know what's going on you can let your customer have access to all of this information that's kept in one spot. That's what company cam is. It allows you to do this and organize your projects. There's a 14 day free trial right now. Okay. I'm going to leave that link in the podcast notes. So you can guys, you guys can go check out the 14 day free trial and see what it's all about. 
We're talking to John from Dan Foss, and one of the cool things Dan Foss has on the go is a newsletter. I'm going to leave a link also in the podcast notes so you guys can go sign up for the newsletter. They've promised me it's not going to be spammy. They promised me it's going to be legitimate, valid information um, about the industry and about, about Dan Foss themselves, right? So if you guys are interested in that continued education, learning, that newsletter is a place to start for that. So True Tech Tools, you get 8% off using code KNOWITALL. We, we know that that's awesome. 8% off of anything is, is a good chunk of money. But the 13% off Testo has been carried over. Okay. Um, right now, I believe it's until the end of May. So 13% off Testo. Use code uh, Testo and TTT, all one word. Navac also has a very cool promotion. You buy anything um, that's Navac from True Tech Tools, you get four times the amount of True Tech Tools points. The other thing Navac is doing is if you buy a qualified vacuum pump, you are going to receive two of three, okay, two of three free gifts. There's a half inch hose, three eighths hose, and a core removal tool. Those hoses are vacuum rated, by the way, the black ones. So you get to choose two um, of three of those, okay? I would suggest probably the half inch hose and the core removal tool. That's That would be my suggestion for you guys. Uh, the Blue On app, guys, it's a must to have on your phone, okay? Right now, if you're not into doing any conversions at the moment, at least grab the app, all right? And get access to all those unit manuals and all the toolbox educational stuff that's within the app. And when you're ready to start doing conversions, you have access to that info. You have access to their two-minute wait time tech support. Two-minute wait time. That is completely fabulous. And it's for all things AC. It's not just uh, Blue On TDX20. It's not just their, their conversion refrigerant. It's all things AC. So check that out, guys. So let's get back to John and the podcast. This segment of the podcast is brought to you by Harago, a trades-only platform helping you find the right job or the right candidate. Harago.com, best in trade. Yeah, I mean, uh, generally, and th- things sort of, th- there is cost and there's running cost. And obviously cost of the box is expensive. You're talking roughly the percentage between the refrigeration cost and the box cost. Roughly 50% is uh, fridge cost and 50% is the, the fabric cost, if you like. Okay. Um, yeah, generally, if it's a high temp room, obviously the insulation is going to be thinner than if it's a, a deep freeze box. But you've got to have a balance because, yeah, you, you could have a panel that is uh 600 mil thick but that costs a lot of money mm-hmm. so generally if you're talking a freezer um you know minus 18 minus 20 you'd be talking 150 mil poly polyurethane mm-hmm. um if you were high temp 75 mil maybe 100 mil if you were down the sort of uh 32 mark temperature wise so 150 for a freezer 75 for high temp or you know medium temp let's say fruit fruit and veg um and then maybe 100 mil if it was around about sort of freezing um mark again you 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 can go thicker 
And obviously, if you go thicker, then that limits the heat ingress into the room. So your refrigeration duty is smaller, but then your cold room panels cost more money. So it's very much a sort of, you know, balance. Yeah. yeah. The, the other thing about construction I've noticed too, is that some of the ceilings, they have, they have um, if the box is built inside of a warehouse, and some of the ceilings, they have rod coming down from the um, the, the, the roof deck to hold yeah, the, the to hold the ceiling up. Um, is this something that you that is common that you see? Yeah, yeah, yeah that that's in, incredibly common. I mean, generally, if you you talk roughly about thirty cubic meters, and I can't tell you what that is in feet, um, that's you sort of you know typical small cauldron self-supporting. Um, anything above that then you know everything would be supported on the drop rods from the the steel portal frame or the prefabricated you know skeleton of the building so yeah that's in, incredibly common and obviously there's calculations made by the cold room people who install it to make sure that you know it, it's suitable for that load um i've spent a lot of time on top of boxes and you can walk up there but it feels a little bit you know springy mm -hmm. um, i've never fallen through one yet so i'm doing all right <laughs> um, so as, as far as the construction goes, I've seen on some low temp stuff, I've seen vents cut into the, the walls of the, the cooler. We had one vent in particular, it, it was fairly large. I mean, it was probably like 12 by 18 or something like that. And it had little holes in it and each um, hole had a small heater at the end to prevent moisture from freezing. And I'm like, what? is the point of that thing and I, I didn't understand it and then I, I got down to the bottom and they're saying well um cold air like once the warm air gets in there the cold air can shrink and actually um cause the box to kind of collapse on itself but yeah we had so much problems with this thing that the the manufacturer just said take it out because it just kept freezing up and causing a lot of problems and we took it out three or four years ago and it's never been it's never been a problem okay um yeah, I mean, you're supposed to have what are called pressure relief vents in mm -hmm. particularly a deep freeze, maybe not so much, you know, your typical uh, plus four, um, you know, I have to get between C and F. So plus four, we're talking 39 F, um, not so much of an issue. And if it's a store that you're in and out all day long, you know, the doors are open, again, not too much of an issue. But if it's the sort of store where you are putting product in, shutting the door, leaving it, maybe it's blast chill, maybe blast freeze, something like that, um, then you can have issues because, as you said, the cold air inside the room shrinks, uh, creates a vacuum, greater pressure from the outside, and then causes structural instability of the, the box itself. Mm -hmm. um, these vents are basically put in there to equalize the pressure, so inwards and outwards, so you'll get cold air coming out, warm air going in that equalizes the pressure. Mm -hmm. um, and yet they are heated because, you know, if you've got cold air uh, coming out and moist air, moist warm air going in, then uh, generally you get some frost buildup. So they, they, they do have heaters in there. And they do do a job, very valid job. Um, and probably if you speak to any cold room manufacturer, they'll say, must have them in. Um, I've been to a few sites over the years where if you try and open the door, the door will be difficult to open and you'll feel that because of that vacuum there. And that's mm. sort of the warning sign, I would say, to think, well, mm, maybe you need to think about having these uh, you know, relief valves fitted. And depending on the size of the store, 
there's certain locations where they need to be. Um, you have to have them sort of two thirds up the wall, not any further because that's dead space. Um, and, you know, again, depending on the size of the store, you might have one vent, two vent, four vents. You know, I've been to some, some big stores and they might have 10 vents in the whole area. Um, just trying to keep that structural stability going. Yeah, and I, I know where you're coming from with having trouble opening the door because we have some some reach in minus 80. Like these are uh, pharma freezers again. They're cascade like package mm. units and they're minus 80. And if you can't open the door, there's actually a little knob on the side. You, you spin it off, you, you, you pull it out and you can hear yeah. it You can hear the air, you can hear the air changing. And then as soon as yeah. it's done equalizing, you can open that door. So it's, yeah. it's, it's in, totally in line. With, with, with what you described there. So I'd like to move on to some refrigerants that are used in, in cold rooms or walk-in boxes. Some of the, the major refrigerants or the, the top two or three that we see. Mm, there's a, a very good discussion and uh, sort of globally, uh, that, that, that's a really good sort of topic. Um, you know, generally what I'd say, if you talk about refrigerants, um, it depends on whether it's high temp, medium temp, low temp, obviously, because we use different refrigerants for different, uh, you know, temperature ranges, different evaporating ranges. So uh, let's take 404, for example, you know, that's a fairly multi-use refrigerant these days. Yep. Yep. Um, it's a high density refrigerant. It gives you a lot of bang for your buck, so to speak. Um, then you take 134A, for example, which is a sort of other end of the spectrum, it's a very uh, low density refrigerant. You don't get a lot of bang for your buck. Uh, the GWP is still not too bad. Um, why would you use it? Some people like it. Um, it, it, it. It all comes down to application temperature range um, and the GWP that you are wanting to have in that system, both from a legislative point of view, if you're driven down the legislative route, um, everybody wants a low, G, low GWP, so um, you know you sort of pays your money, and you uh, take take your choice on what what uh, refrigerant that you go for. Um, it, it's a really difficult subject because you know nowadays everybody's talking uh, to get the, the GWP down. You know, there's flammables, there's uh, the A2Ls, the mildly flammables, CO2. There's, there's, there's no one gas fits everything, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I, the reason I ask is because I, I see 404 quite a bit, and, and, and I have one building that ranges. There's actually, there's three um, coolers that are, they range around the, the five degree Celsius mark, and then there's, there's a minus 23 Celsius, and there's a minus 40 Celsius, all in the same facility, and they all use 404A, so... Like you were saying, it does do kind of like a wide range of, um, of applications, yeah. but something's going on with 404A, is it not? Where it's going to be yeah. phased out or whatever? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's phased out in all new equipment within Europe um, because of the GWP level. And now we're moving to 448, 449, 452, which have lower GWP levels. Um, yeah, we're being driven by the, legislat the legislators and... Uh, you know that that's one of the biggest challenges I think of our business today is to look after the equipment that we've got that's working with a certain refrigerant as we all know if it's inside and the system's not leaking it's not doing any harm um, it's yeah. a matter of 
that system type. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably say one of the biggest challenges that, that I get from, from field work is getting people to understand that if you are evaporating, you know, let's say at zero, uh, 32, um, that you have to maintain a certain pressure drop across your expansion valve. And then you've also got to look, look after your head pressure. So, uh, you know, if it's very cold outside the middle of winter, you've got to have some form of head pressure control to maintain that pressure drop across the valve. Otherwise, you're going to struggle. And if you're on 134A, for example, that's a lot harder than it would be if you was on 404. Um, It's trying to maintain that that drop across the valve to make it function. Um, And I think that that's also one of the challenges with refrigerants because people assume uh, you know that the system will work no matter what the temperature is doing out, outside um, and that is very much dependent on the refrigerant that you're using at the time great great that's, so that's, it, that's, it's, that's, it's a challenging subject yeah and there's no gas no one gas fits all almost well it's good 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 info to have um, and the last thing that I wanted to, to talk to you about was the different types of defrost we can implement um, and, and I'll tell you a story that Mm. That happens. That this, that's happened um, a handful of times on some some coolers that we're maintaining around four to five degrees Celsius, so in and around that thirty-eight to forty degree Fahrenheit range, um, yeah. where they they just use off-cycle defrost. Meaning, well, you understand that, but yeah. Yeah. where where the where, where the, the the system shuts down, but the fans continue to run, and because the air is above freezing, um, that's going across the coil, it just naturally thaws the coil but we've had cases where the dead of the summer it's really humid and there's a lot of activity going in and out of that box where it'll get a little bit of moisture and because the activity is high it doesn't come down to temperature so it just continues to run and run and run it never gets that break and it never cycles off and then you get this big big ball of frost it's only happened a handful of times at these places and we've we've alleviated that with putting in some curtains. Um, so when the big roll up door opens and it's just one person going through, um, they're yeah. just going through a curtain where we, we don't have the, the, the moist air coming in and rising and hitting the evap. So that's one way is, is the off cycle defrost. And mm-hmm. what are a couple other ways in, in low temp that we can defrost these coils? Um, obviously the, the, the most common method is obviously um, electric heaters. Yeah. Um, you know that that that's probably the most common method. Um, works perfectly well. I think the the, the challenges, as as we probably all know, is getting the right defrost termination temperature, getting the right location for the termination probe in the cooler. You know, don't put it near a heater, for example. Um, make sure that it's terminated on temperature, not time. Just have the time of security. Um, so you're not using more energy that you uh, you know need to. Um, other things that I've done in the past is to make sure that you've got a good drip down time. So as soon as you reach your termination temperature, it doesn't write back into refrigeration again because then you just freeze any remaining moisture that's on the coil. So yeah. I have a drip down time. I personally always put f- five minutes drip down time on the uh, between the end of defrost and the start of refrigeration. And then it might even have put what I what I term a snap freeze or a fan delay on there, so you're not actually if there is any moisture still there, you're not going to blow that round the store. Um, 
you've got to be a little bit careful because you don't want to get liquid back down the suction line, obviously. And if you haven't got any fans running, you know, that becomes a little bit of a, a blackout, if you like. Um, but the main thing for hot gas defrost are those. Other methods that I've seen over the years, water defrost. Um, I don't know whether you've, you've seen that in your line of work, but uh, that used to be quite a, a favourite sort of quite some years ago. And it actually works really well. Uh, it's just got to be maintained and understood, let's say that. Um, so how does, how does that work? I've never seen or heard of water defrost before. How does that yeah, work? Yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting one. Basically, at, at the top of the cooler, you have like a spray bar or a dribble bar, if you want to call it that. And basically, you, you pump water into this bar uh, and it just basically pours water or yeah, lets water flow over the coil block. Obviously, then the condensate tray and away. Um, and if it's set up right, it actually works fairly well because then you're not actually putting any extra heat into the store. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the big challenges with electric defrost. Obviously, you know, you cool the store down and then you put in 10 kilowatts of heat into the room again. Um, okay, a lot of that gets used to melt the ice. Yeah. But when you've actually melted the ice, then you warm up the coil block then you start the refrigeration system again, then you've got to take a lot of that heat back out the store again. Mm -hmm. So water is actually hugely beneficial because you're not adding that much heat into the refrigerated space. Mm -hmm. But it, it does, obviously it uses water. Now, um, water costs money. Maybe if you're on a site, um, we saw it in places like dairies, for example, where they would use a lot of the recirculated water, the, the gray water, that they may be used for washing down the vats or whatever that would go through a you know pump and a filter and blah 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 and they'd use it for that so it wasn't let's say fresh water straight out the ground because that's expensive but if you've got a site that has um gray water in abundance it actually works quite well hmm, interesting uh, i've i've never i i I'll, I'll need to come across a youtube video or something like that because i've never i've never seen that in the works so i mean that we, we've covered quite a bit there, and I think that we've we've answered a lot of questions that, that I had, and, and I hope the audience is going to appreciate some of this once I roll this this video out. So, thanks for your time today. I, I really appreciate it, and um, and uh, keep doing what you're doing because the knowledge that you, you just kind of shot onto us is, is is how we learn. Yeah, no no problems at all, guys. Much much appreciate the time, and uh, yeah, you know we can do it again. All right, love it. That was that was awesome. One thing I took away from that that I had never ever heard of before is the water defrost. Sending water over the coil to defrost. Now, I've never heard of that before, so that was actually really cool to learn about that and and a lot of people have given me feedback from the YouTube video that I put out that they haven't heard of that either. So, we all learned from that. Anybody that 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 listened or watched however you consume the content, somebody took something away from it. And that's the whole point of this is so the education keeps going. So thank you to John. Thank you to Dan Foss for helping me put that together. Till next time, guys, I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.